Hey, everyone. Welcome. And our guest today is Julie Simon. She's a licensed psychotherapist and life coach with more than 20 years of experience helping overeaters stop dieting, heal the relationship with themselves and their bodies, lose excess weight and keep it off. She's a lifelong fitness enthusiast and also a certified personal trainer with over 25 years of experience designing exercise and nutrition programs for various populations. Julie is also the founder and director of the Los Angeles-based 12-week emotional eating recovery program, which offers an alternative to dieting by addressing the mind, body, and spirit imbalances underlying overeating. She's the author of the new book, The Emotional Eater's Repair Manual, a practical mind-body-spirit guide for putting an end to overeating and dieting, and she's here on the show with us today. Julie, welcome to the program. Hi there. Thank you for having me, Steve. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, this book really goes in depth in a lot of, of these issues, and I think all of us must have. So let's start with the idea of eating emotionally. Is this something we all do? Well, we, we do all do a little bit of emotional eating, and the truth is we all enjoy eating, and we will eat when we're not hungry or overeat on occasion just because the food is incredibly tasty or because it enhances our personal or social experiences. And the problem arises when we turn to food so often that we're, our health is at risk or we're overeat, overweight. Mm -hmm. So if you regularly eat when you're not hungry or when you're already full, or if you regularly choose to eat unhealthy comfort foods, then the bulk of your overeating <clears throat> excuse me, is not just because you love food and you enjoy eating. It's because something's out of balance somewhere. I could give you some examples of how you'd know if you're an emotional eater. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so you might consider yourself an emotional eater if any of the following apply. So if you use food as a tranquilizer to dull emotions that are difficult to cope with, like anxiety or anger or sadness or frustration or loneliness, um, if you use food to silence negative, critical, self-defeating thoughts, um, if you turn to food for something, for soothing, comfort, pleasure, and even excitement. You might eat to distract yourself from unpleasant feeling states such as boredom or apathy or overwhelm or when you're generally upset or stressed out. You might eat as a way to procrastinate. And if you try to fill up an inner emptiness with food, all of those would define you as an emotional eater. Mm. Now, where does this initially come from? Because when we're babies, a lot of times we're crying, we're, we're fed comfort foods. Is that where it first starts? Well, we certainly are initially soothed by, you know, sucking on our mother's breast and, and by, you know, being fed and comforted with food when we're young. But the truth is what most emotional eaters have in common is that their early family experiences were undernourishing at best and at worst, they were chaotic or traumatic. So that's usually what underlies emotional eating. For a variety of reasons, many emotional eaters grow up in environments where their emotional and physical needs are not adequately met. Their caregivers might have had, not have had their basic needs met, and they may not be capable of meeting their children's needs. And even well-intentioned, loving caregivers can be overly self-absorbed or needy and regularly distracted by their internal struggles. 
There might be physical or mental illness in the home. So when our emotional needs go unmet, we're forced to spend much of our precious childhood years trying to cope with unpleasant emotional states, uh, insecurity and low self-esteem, and our emotions and needs are neglected. So we lose touch with these really important signals. Emotions and needs are very important signals. And it's kind of easy to see how we start to use food for comfort, pleasure, and calming, unlike our neglect-filled or chaotic family environment and our inner environment. Food is soothing. It's readily available. It's predictable. And we can easily become over-focused on food and eating. Our development, like a train, goes off track and gets derailed or arrested. And then rather than acquiring really good, healthy self-care skills, we end up with skill deficits, which unfortunately can have lifelong consequences. What have you found to be the main causes of weight gain? So what we know today is in, in the year 2012 is that most people uh, gain weight. The most common causes of weight gain are overeating, driven by emotional and spiritual hunger, and physiological imbalance. And, you know, one of the reasons I wrote this book was because, as you know, there's an obesity epidemic in this country. Um, Two-thirds of adults are overweight or obese today. That's in the United States. That's a pretty high number. And Americans spend over $65 billion a year on weight loss products. More than 100 million Americans are regular dieters. And most diet and weight loss programs just focus exclusively on reduced calorie eating plans and exercise regimens, and they don't address the emotional and spiritual hunger and physiological imbalance that actually causes weight gain. And, in fact, many diet programs and books encourage people to eat foods that actually cause body and brain chemistry imbalances, you know, like foods that contain sugar and dairy and flour and meat. So it's... It's the emotional and spiritual hunger and physiological imbalance that is causing weight gain and overeating. And actually, I'll add one other thing. While we know that we have this obesity epidemic, I like to call it an epidemic of disconnection because we're born with these phenomenal machines that give us a multitude of signals every day to keep us in balance, and we're so disconnected today, and overeaters especially are very disconnected from their emotional, spiritual, and physical signals. Um, so this disconnect is fueling overeating. Now, when we think about it, all populations are affected, right? Because you can be vegetarian, vegan, raw vegan, and still be an emotional eater because there's comfort foods in all the different diets, no matter what, plant-based or not, right? Exactly. I mean, you can be a raw foodist and you can be, you know, um, grinding up cashew, you know, cashew cream butter, you know, <laughs> every night. Um, you know, it's not even about quantity. It's not even about eating large amounts. It's kind of what your orientation to eating is. If you're if you're turning to the food, you know, to relieve your stress, to soothe and comfort you, whether you're a vegan, whether you're a vegetarian, um, whether you're a raw foodist, 
then you can consider yourself an emotional eater. And you may, you may not even be overweight, but you may be over-consuming comfort foods. And especially as a as a um, vegan, you know, we we know vegans can very easily be over consuming processed vegan foods, right? Mm-hmm. And potato chips are still vegan, and there are vegan cookies, and we can overdo it on soy ice cream. Um, so, if if you're vegan, vegetarian, or raw foodist, and you're, you know turning to food for soothing and comfort and excitement, whether or not you're overeating, you could, be con- you could consider yourself an emotional eater. Maybe you can talk a little about your background and what it was that led you to release this book. What, what in your background, did you have these kinds of issues? Maybe you can share that with our listeners. I did definitely have these issues, and I would say... My story is really one of listening to an inner calling and an inner intuitive wisdom and kind of having faith in that and letting that guide you through life. And it's something I always encourage my clients to do. I basically, you know, came from a family of overeaters and emotional eaters. Um, I was raised in a somewhat dysfunctional, chaotic, and traumatic family environment. My mother suffered from bipolar disorder. And at age 16, I decided I wanted to be a therapist and help people like my mother resolve their emotional issues and just live happier lives. So I majored in psychology at UCLA, um, but my life took a few twists and turns um, before I got back to my first love. My father was a CPA, and he encouraged me to get an advanced degree in business. So I I got an MBA and became a CPA. But after a couple of years of working for a large, uh, prestigious accounting firm, followed by some work as a financial analyst, I realized I had made a wrong turn. When I worked with clients, I was more interested in their emotional challenges than their bottom lines. And this was kind of guiding me. And at the same time, I had always been very athletic, and I was a fitness and health enthusiast. And I just wasn't ready to go back for another advanced degree, so I decided to start decided to start a part-time personal fitness training business. And I quickly had more clients than I had time for. So I quit my full-time financial analyst job and ran my own financial consulting business and personal training business. Did that for a long time, a lot of years. And then that inner calling began to stir again. I was starting to feel restless. And I found, once again, I was really interested in my clients' psychological issues. Why did they have trouble with motivation? Why was it difficult for them to stick to a healthy eating plan? Why were their marriages not working? So I knew I needed to honor that intuitive wisdom and listen to that intuitive nudge and go back to school and get a degree in psychology and um, you know, basically follow my true calling or my higher calling, or right alignment, whatever you want to call it. And that's what I did, and the rest is history. You know, I kind of um, focused my efforts on working with overeaters. I, I treat all kinds of things, you know, relationship issues and career counseling. And But I wanted to have a specialty in, you know, working with overeaters and body image issues, and that's what I did. 
So part of this process, if we identify ourselves as an emotional leader, what is the first step we can take to overcoming it? Well, the first step would be to, like I said, we have these phenomenal bodies, these phenomenal mind, body, and spirit uh, machine, if you will, that gives us a multitude of signals every single day that helps us stay in balance. So the first thing we want to do is we want to learn to identify those signals, right? So let's say you're an emotional eater and you notice that you're always grabbing food mindlessly or um, you, you occasionally you're binging, right? What you're going to want to do is pull away from the food, take a little break from the food. I always ask people to, to do a little bit of writing because it's easier to focus what, uh, focus on what you're doing if you sit down and write it rather than try to think it out in your head. So what I ask people to do in the, in, in the book, I describe a technique, it's three steps, and I call it an inner conversation. And the goal of the technique is to, to achieve something I call self-connection. Because okay? remember I said that this obesity epidemic that we have is really an epidemic of disconnection. We're really very disconnected from our own mind, body, and signals, body and spirit signals. So we're also really disconnected from others, too. We're disconnected from passion and purpose and all kinds of things. So very first step starts with yourself. So it starts with self-connection. And the three-step process I use called inner conversations is that when you want to turn to food, when you're not hungry and you, and you want to go turn to food, or you're full, you're already full and you want to keep eating, or you just want to grab unhealthy comfort foods, even when you are hungry, stop for a moment, take out a piece of paper, and get in touch with your signals. So the very first signals we want to get in touch with is our emotions. What am I feeling? What am I feeling right now? I'm not hungry, but I want to go get something to eat. Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling angry? It's just three words. I feel sad. I feel angry. I feel hurt. I feel lonely. I feel empty. Next step is, what do I need? And often people have difficulty with both these steps. They're, they're very out of touch with what they're feeling. And often they're very out of touch with what they need. So maybe what I need is stimulation. Maybe what I need is connection. Um, maybe what I need is hope, right? Let's get in touch with what I need. And the third step is to access an inner nourishing voice. And this step is really critical because most emotional eaters, remember I said they come from somewhat non-nourishing backgrounds, um, do not have a very nourishing inner voice. Often their inner voice is very critical, um, judgmental, harsh, negative, so we want to, at the same time that we're identifying our emotions and needs, we want to get practice at building a voice inside that's nourishing. And I call that voice the inner nurturer. And it takes practice. And sometimes if you don't feel you even have that voice inside of you, you need to think about who in your life is nurturing. Who have you experienced that's nurturing? Or maybe there's a television program, you know, a sitcom that has, a nurturing mother or father on it, you know, and you can kind of practice that voice. Maybe your grandmother was nurturing. So you access that nurturing voice 
that's able to say to you something like, I can really understand feeling sad about this today. I know that you're needing some comfort, and I'm here with you to give that to you. I'm here to tell you that you're a great person, and you're wonderful, and I love you, and I support you, and we're going to get through this, and this rough time will pass. So it's building that connection to ourselves, to our signals, our emotions, and our needs, and to an inner nourishing voice that can regularly soothe and comfort us. Most of us go through our lives, especially if we're emotional eaters, looking outside of ourselves for that. We want to get that from our partner. We want to get that from our friends. We want to still try and get it from our parents. We want to get it from food. We want to get it from alcohol, drugs, drama, gambling, right? It's it's inside. Sometimes it just has to be developed. Sometimes it has to be awakened. It's inside. Now, when you mention the idea of paying attention to mind, body, spirit signals, what would be some more examples of these signals? Well, we said like the mind signals would include like the emotions, so emotions like joy and fear and sadness. Um, But other mind signals would include thoughts, okay? So another step that another skill, a self-care skill that I teach is called catch and reframe. And it's learning to catch those self-defeating thoughts. We all have them every day. And many people have a slew of them even before they get out of the house. You know, they wake up, they look in the mirror, oh, my God, I look so tired, I look so old, I should have changed jobs years ago, I hate this job, I hate my life, right? And then they head off to work, and they wonder why they're focused on the pastries Mm -hmm. at work. So mind signals, uh, another example of mind signals are thoughts. And we need to learn to pay attention to our thoughts. Our thoughts are incredibly powerful, kind of tidbits of energy. And we need to make sure that they're empowering and optimistic and hopeful. And when they're not, we need to learn to reframe them, catch them very quickly and reframe them into something that's powerful. Then on the body front, our body gives us tremendous amount of signals every day, right? We get physical sensations every day. We get hunger, we get cravings, we get fullness, we have fatigue, we have bloating, we get headaches, we have irritability, right? Mm-hmm. Our body gives us so many signals every single day to keep us in balance. Our, even just our digestive tract is so, you know, they say the, the digestive tract is like the second brain because it's so complex. You know, it's calculating caloric density and calculating the amount of fat reserved in our fat cells and how much food we need and what kind of micronutrients we're needing. And it gives us signals for all that. That's why, you know, when you eat an orange and the second orange looks good, that's a signal. Your body's saying maybe, you know, we need more vitamin C, right? Your body's very, very wise and will tell you everything you need to know. And then the third area of signals would be spiritual signals. Um, Again, many, many people tuned out to these. And spiritual signals would include states such as inspiration, feeling inspired, feeling passionate, um, or feeling meaninglessness, feeling purposelessness in your life, feeling a chronic sense of apathy. Um, When I hear people say, I'm really bored 
all the time. I think of that as a spiritual signal. Something's, you know, not not feeling very um, awakened inside. We want to pay attention to these signals. And often for a lot of us, we don't want to. You know, we want to tune them out. We want to medicate them because we don't know what to do with them. So my book is all about teaching people what pay attention to the signals. How do you pay attention to them? What do they sound like? Excuse me. And what do you do with them? How do you address them? And it's all possible. And in the book, you talk about spiritual hunger. Can you define this? Yeah. Spiritual hunger. Well, most emotional eaters, you know, often feel disconnected from the deeper reserves of joy and passion and contentment within, and also from from their higher self or a higher power. So many people feel disconnected from their calling. In addition to that, they feel disconnected from their calling or a sense of purpose in life. Uh, And they may also feel disconnected from other nourishing human beings or even from nature. So spiritual hunger, really, if we define it, represents a longing or a yearning for peace, joy, inspiration, passion, purpose, and meaning. And it might also involve a desire for transcendent experiences that help us gain a more expansive perspective and connect us to something or some force greater than ourselves. So even when we've achieved our desired weight loss and improved our health and our lives seem relatively full, we can still experience symptoms of spiritual depletion, even when when everything's seemingly going along well. I can tell you some signs of spiritual depletion that emotional eaters can watch out for. So if, if you think you're an emotional eater, you can start by asking yourself if you experience any of the following symptoms on a regular basis. If you feel, experience emptiness, restlessness, that's what I described during my career transitions. I was constantly experiencing a restlessness, unease, if you feel purposelessness in your life or meaninglessness, if you're regularly feeling a lack of inspiration or motivation, if you regularly say you're bored, if you feel loneliness or a sense of aloneness in life, if you're longing for there to be more to life, if you lack personal fulfillment, if there's a general sense of discontent or dissatisfaction. And for some people, they'll, they'll say, I feel lost. That's how they'll describe spiritual depletion. I just kind of feel lost in my life. So those are some examples of things we'd want to be watching out for. Now, your book provides a lot of the tools for the programs that you're teaching. What's a good way, you know, once we identify this and we're we're noticing that we've got a lot of these signs and we're overeating, um, the book's got a lot of the tools in there. What do you, what's your next recommendation? I know you've got some programs you've set up too. Yeah, I think the book is a good start, you know, to, to read the book. It's a good self-help start. And then if people want to be guided through some of these skills, because in the book and in the program, I basically teach people five self-care skills and five body-balancing principles and five soul care practices that will get you reconnecting to your signals 
um, with love and care and um, getting your mind, body, and spirit back in balance. So people can also sign up for a 12-week program with me. I have a live program here in Los Angeles, and in, in the new year I'll be starting a 12-week teleseminar program for you know anyone who can't make it to my office or um, you know who lives or who's too busy you know to get out and get somewhere weekly uh, so they can sign up for the 12-week program and they can read the book and you know for people who want more than a 12-week program I also have weekly groups for emotional eaters and we've got a link for you to get the book right here for the Emotional Eaters Repair Manual. We've got a link on our show notes page or at the end of this article. So just click that to find out more. And what can we do about loved ones who are emotional eaters? How can we help? Well, you know, I think what emotional eaters most need is compassion, you know, compassion and understanding and support and encouragement so if you have emotional eaters in your life, I would suggest being patient with them, letting them know you care about them and that you believe in them. We, you know, we all know that telling people to just eat less and exercise more is a recipe for disaster because most emotional eaters just are unable to practice lifestyle changes or address health challenges because of the emotional, physical, and spiritual disconnect that's sabotaging their best intentions. So we just want to encourage people, you know, to get the help they need, you know, through books like this one or programs like my 12-week program or beginning in therapy with a specialist in emotional eating. There's lots of help out there um, and lots of affordable help. And, you know, the best thing is to just support with love and care. It's not about dieting. You know, that's that's one of the critical messages I always want to be getting across is that, you can end your emotional eating without going on another diet. We know for sure diets don't work. You know, 98% of um, dieters regain their weight in five years and 95% within two years. So it's not about dieting. And when people come and work with me, they find out that they're not going to have to count calories. They're not going to weigh and measure food. I'm not going to put them on any kind of restrictive diet. They're going to get to eat until they're satiated from, you know, and select a wide variety of foods to eat from. And there's not going to be any white-knuckling it. They're not going to have to get on a scale and have weigh-ins. You know, you can stop your emotional eating without dieting, without calorie counting, carb counting, weighing and measuring your body or your food once and for all. And that's the good news. And I notice in the book that you do recommend you're not you don't force someone if they're on a standard American diet or wherever they are that you've got to move towards a plant based diet. But overall, that is that part of the recommendation of what you're trying to get across. That is definitely part of the recommendation. I advocate advocate that people slowly add more plant foods to their eating plan. I certainly advocate for a whole foods plant based eating plan, but I. You know, emotional eaters are so used to being told what to eat and what not to eat, so I don't want to trigger, um, you know, rebellion. Um, So what I try to do is have people slowly begin to add more plant foods to their diet and help them understand that when we regularly consume modern drug-like processed foods loaded with sugar and salt and fat and foods of, of animal origin, 
that it's difficult to determine whether our overeating or, or imbalanced eating is driven by emotional or physical imbalance. So on a whole food plant-based eating plan, or as we're adding more whole foods to our eating plan, our body chemistry becomes more balanced, and especially if we're steering clear, clear of foods that trigger sensitivities or allergies. And when our body chemistry is more balanced, more alkaline, it's easier to focus on building self-care skills self-care skills, and resolving emotional issues. When our body's out of balance, and in the book I talk about body and brain imbalances and how to address them, when our body's very out of balance, it's very hard to know what's causing us to grab food. So are we grabbing food because we're struggling with food addiction, which is more of a physical event, a body and brain event, or are we grabbing it because we're unhappy and feeling empty inside. It's hard to ferret all this out, so it, it helps if we can slowly kind of balance the body again. And I like to start people, and most people are very open to adding, slowly adding plant foods to their diet. Most people see the value in having more fruits and vegetables. Um, and kind of as, as many authors are they're using this terminology, and I like it. They're saying, you know, crowd out. Crowd out the junk um, by adding more. You know, add an apple every day, right? Um, you know, beginning to add more fiber-filled plant-based foods to your diet. And it works. You know, so many people I work with, are they get very excited because they start to see that, oh, gosh, this isn't going to be like another diet, and there's lots, lots of things for me to eat. And I'm feeling better physically, and now I can now I have more energy to address these deep-seated emotional issues that I've been feeling too lousy to even address. So it's all win-win. You're listening to Julie Simon. She's the author of the Emotional Eaters Repair Manual. And Julie, we're winding down here. So if you can offer just one piece of encouragement or advice to an emotional eater, what would that be? Uh, the one piece of advice would be to never give up. You can put an end to emotional eating and to your preoccupation with food or your weight or your body image. You can eliminate the the idea of dieting from your life forever, and you can definitely experience a more rich and satisfying life. Just never give up. Keep at it. Keep working on it. Work through the exercises in the book. Uh, take a 12-week program if you need to. Come work with me individually if you want to. Um, just don't give up. It's doable. I was a, an, an emotional eater, and I'm completely recovered emotional eater. And believe me, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Great. Julie Simon, again, the author of the Emotional Eaters Repair Manual, a practical mind-body-spirit guide for putting an end to overeating and dieting. We've got links for the book. If you guys want to pick that up, it's highly recommended. And doing great work in the vegetarian community, Julie. Thank you so much for being here with us. I've got lots and lots of blog articles um, for people who are struggling with emotional eating. They can go there and read some articles. It's www.overeatingrecovery.com. Great. Julie, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Once again, Julie Simon, the Emotional Eaters Repair Manual, right here. Thank you all for being here, and we'll see you next time.